0: Um, so me and Richard, as Steph said, we're going to be double teaming today. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to be continuing our series on what the church is. Um, we've been looking at different aspects of the way the Bible describes the church. So we've looked at so far the church as the body of Christ. We've looked at the church as the temple of God. We've looked at the church as the bride of Christ, the salt of the earth and the aroma of Christ. And today, as the slide says, we're going to be looking at the church as the household of God or the church as God's family. The so passage we 're going to be looking at is uh, from one Timothy verses uh, chapter three verses fourteen to sixteen. It comes halfway through one Timothy, which is the first letter Paul has written to Timothy. Timothy was essentially like paul 's like young apprentice or kind of someone he 'd assistant, someone would be going with him and he 'd left him in Ephesus to look after the church whilst he went on to Macedonia and he 's written a letter back to him to say. This is the things that you need to guard the church against and this is how you should set it up. It's a big task for like a young apprentice but he sort of has given him lots of instructions. Now the passage we're going to read comes just after he's explained sort of the leadership structure. So the leadership structure that Paul set out to Timothy is that there should be elders and there should be deacons. So kind of overseers and then people who help the work of the church. And he gives a very detailed list of the qualifications there. So if you want to have a look at kind of the way we've set up, go and have a look at One Timothy Free, and you'll be able to see kind of the, the qualifications for elders and deacons. And they're primarily character uh, giftings, what it takes to be a, 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 man or a man in an elder's position or a deacon, a, a man or a woman's position, what it looks like to be a character that could carry those positions. And then after that, he goes on to describe what the church is and the purpose of the church in just a few short verses. And this is where we're going to focus our time today. So I'm going to read it, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump straight into having a look at what this means for us. So it says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that this morning we've been reminded that you are Lord of all. Lord, that we can submit to you, Lord. That we know that you are such a good Father to us. On this Father's Day, I look around in this room and see so many wonderful examples of fathers, and I thank you for them, Lord, but we thank you that we have an ultimate Father in you who deeply cares for us, who knows every hair on our head, who knows every need that we have, Lord. And I pray, Father, would you help us by your spirit this morning to understand your word in a fresh way, to understand what it is to be your household. Amen. Amen. So in this bit of the verse where Paul is sort of Is setting out that he explains to Timothy how the church might behave and what its purpose is and that is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth so I'm going to look at the kind of what the household bit and then the pillar and buttress if you don't know what a pillar and buttress is Uh, the description of where Paul is describing as the household of God is essentially where he's explaining that this is God's family we are God's family and then uh, what it takes to be part of that family is that we've believed in Jesus we've repented of our sin And we have been baptised in water and spirit. Therefore, we are adopted into his family. The rest of the letter, yeah, he explains how people ought to behave. Now, you might know, you would recognise this, I reckon, that in every household, families have ways of behaving. Whether it's articulated or not, you will be able to look at your own family and think, we do this, we do that. It might not have ever been written up on a blackboard or something like that, but you'll know by the way that your parents set an example that that is the way you should carry yourselves in your household. You might hear things from your parents like, we don't do that in our family. We don't do that. That's not what we're about. That's what it means to be part of a family. So even in mine and Sarah's marriage, God has created us. He's he's created us uniquely. He's brought us together in marriage as one. And then we set family values that we want in our family. So Isabel and Sarah's pregnant at the moment and that, that little boy coming into our family, we will be nurturing them in a way that the values that we believe are really important. And then also in the Bible, it sets out really clearly that part of the role of a a man in a marriage is to be the head of that family. That doesn't mean that I rule over Sarah. It um, it means that we collectively are responsible. But, well, no, let me change the phrasing there. I am responsible as head of the family. Ultimately, the responsibility falls to me. The decisions we make, the tone we set, and all that, that is my responsibility to make sure we carry it through. But me and Sarah make those decisions together. So when we're talking about headship, it's not supposed to be like something that, is uh, oppressive it's supposed to be something that is releasing Andy Cotuli talked about it so beautifully a few weeks ago as the church is the bride of Christ and this beautiful image of husbands hu- uh, w- uh, wives submitting to husbands and husbands laying their lives down for the women it's almost like this beautiful thing of submitting and leading so just be encouraged by that when we talk about headship it's not supposed to be an oppressive thing it's supposed to be a releasing thing for the family so in mine and Sarah's family there's a few ways that we have sort of it sort of has happened because of the way we've been brought up and we don't have it necessarily written up. But there's a few things that we set that we know we want people to feel when they come into our household. Just to give you a few examples, just so you sort of get the things that we might be talking about. We want, to, we want people to know that they're always welcome and that that is never an inconvenience to us. We want to be generous with all that we have, our money, our time, our food, our possessions. And we want to go out of our way to help others in need, no matter of the perceived inconvenience to us. You see, they're quite broad, but they help, they help set a tone for the decisions we want to make. They help set a tone for how we parent, for how we draw people into our home, how we give generously. The key things, these are key values that we want our children to one day replicate. And if someone was to come and live in our household, we would want them to carry those values, to know what they're about and begin to carry them. So that's, what we would, that's when Paul is talking about God as the head of the household. It's about these family values. This is what it looks like. Now, here at Rev, how that plays out is God has appointed the elders. So Steph said, it's me, Steph, and Rich currently are the elders of the church or the overseers or the fathers. And um, first and foremost, this is God's church. Revelation Church is God's church. It's not our church. We have been given what is described in the Bible as a noble task to oversee it. It doesn't mean we are to lord over this. We are, we are very much doing it under God's leadership. And what that looks like in practice is we spend an awful lot of time going to God asking for wisdom and insight on where he would like us to lead this church. We, we look to him for the tone we should set, the principles we should put in pray, place. We pray a lot. We search the scriptures, saying, God, what would you have us do in this situation? And it means that we know that we are following God's lead. So we, yes, we lead the church, but we follow, trust us. We, <laughs> we, had a, we had a few days away this week and we spent half the time just really seeking God, saying, God, we don't know what to do. Would you help us? Would you lead us through in this situation? Now, you would have heard it, I think Steph even said today, if you're part of the family here at Rev, what does that mean? We recognize that we say it a lot. Most weeks, if you've been here the last couple of months or, or even years, you hear nearly every week we talk about what it means to be part of the family of Rev. So we thought it would be good to actually articulate some of the key values that we would say it means. So firstly and foremostly, to be part of God's family, we believe that you need to repent of your sin, committed to following God for the rest of your life, and being baptized in both water, which you've got an opportunity to, if you haven't already, in a few weeks' time, and baptise in the Spirit, which Rich is going to help us look at in, in the second half. These are just basic steps that we would say anyone who wants to follow Jesus or calls himself a follower of Jesus should take. And then as part of the family at Rev, we would say there's some key values that sort of make it clear that you are part of the church here. And we would sort of summarise them in three words, which are belong, give, and serve. Belong, what it looks like in practice, is means that you're committed to meaningful fellowship. Whether that's in running partners and GCs and friendships, that's committed to one another. If you're new, get stuck in. If you're old, draw people in. Let's, belong to, let's learn what it is to belong. We give. We are committed to giving out of our finances to help advancing the work of the, the church in North London and across the world. We give because we recognize God has given it to us and we love to pour back in to see his kingdom advance. Let's not store up treasures here. Let's store up treasures in heaven, yeah? We want to steward what we've got well, but let's invest in what God's doing. And then we want to serve. We want everyone to be committed to serving with our time and our gifts, whether that's here on Sundays or throughout the week. Look around at this room and I see so many wonderfully gifted and talented people. You can just get stuck in. You can serve. And if you don't reckon you're good at anything, trust me, you can serve. You can bring all that you are and give your heart for that. And even as I'm saying these things, there's probably, you might be sitting there going, oh, I might be doing two or one of those three. But these are some of the key things that we would look at. What does it mean to be part of the family? And we mentioned the Connect team. If you want to get stuck in, if you want to go, I want to, I want to get in a GC, I want to serve, I want to be able to give more of my finance, go and speak to the Connect team. They will be able to help you connect in. They're really simple ways to get involved. So please, I encourage you, be part of the family here. This is some of our family values. So as I said, God's household is God's people. It's us. And our responsibility as the church is to take the gospel right across the earth. And we believe at Rev that we're called to do that postcode by postcode here in North London and then in cities throughout the world. And this is where we get to the pillar and buttress bit. How do we do this? We do this by holding up the truth. Of the holding up the truth of the gospel to the world. Paul uses a very concrete description of what the church should be in the world, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So in basic building terms, and I am not an architect of any stretch, but pillars hold something up and buttresses support things that hold stuff up. You got that? In a real basic term, thank you. little applause. So I need a few people, but I'm going to ask Kofi as our ops team leader to come and help me. And uh, Sebi and Lucci are sat there as well, if they can help. Let's give our strapping lads a warm round of applause. Come on, Sebi. So Kofi, if you can stand in front of me. Kofi's going to be our pillar. So, Kofi, if you can hold that as high as you can above your head. <laughs> now, Kofi can hold this up much better than me because I've looked at his physical makeup. Um, <laughs> so he is a pillar holding up something. Let's consider the chair the truth of the gospel in this image. Now, I'm not going to talk too slowly, Kofi, but I want to test you a little bit. <laughs> now, Kofi can hold things fairly well on his own, but he could do with a bit of support. So, if Sebi, you can come one side and Lucci come the other, and hold up his arm. Is that picture Steph shared uh, about? <laughs> now, Kofi, is that a bit easier with Sebi and Lucci? Very good. My example worked. <laughs> right, you can keep standing there for a few minutes just so we can really hammer this home. I'll move move over to the one side so you can see me at the back. Very good. Now, in this example, Paul uses the truth of the gospel as the thing that we are to hold up. Now, the beauty that I find in this is that Jesus is the foundation of the church. Everything we do is built on Jesus. But our, our mission, essentially, is to hold up the truth to the world. We build upon Jesus, and he's our sure footing. But then our responsibility is to hold up the gospel. Have you noticed these guys? Kofi is would struggle to focus on anything else but holding up this chair at the moment. If I started to hand him a glass of water, he would not be able to do it. Yeah, this is where his focus is. It would be very hard for these guys to be sidetracked, and we as a church, this is what we want to be. We want to find it hard to become sidetracked because we're so focused on holding up the truth of the gospel to the world. You can put the chair down now, guys. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Now, the beauty of that simple thing is it means you can see how, if you're holding some up, your focus is solely on that. You've got the sure footing of Jesus, and you've got that, this is where I'm looking. I can't take my eyes off this. This is what we want to be as a church in terms of holding up the truth. Now, to look at where this context was finding itself, in Ephesus, where Timothy was at this point, there used to stand a temple which was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which I've got a picture of. I don't think this is an actual picture. Uh, (laughs) Oh, a few latecomers there to that one. <laughs> they didn't have cameras back in the early centuries. Um, but you can see it's, it's what a sight, hey? It's, it stood for 800 years. It had 127 pillars. And each one of those pillars was a gift to the king. It was made of marble. It was studded with jewels and then overlaid with gold. For the church in Ephesus, for them to be called pillars, wouldn't it, would have been something of great honor? Now, pillars can often, it can be of words. Sometimes people feel, oh, that's a bit boring. That's a bit steady. But actually, it should be something that we should desire, to be pillars in God's church. And the thing is, we need to be holding something up. Pillars for the sake of pillars is, is relatively pointless. And the other spectrum, if you're holding up something great, you need the support. And like that illustration with Luc- Lucci and Sebi holding up Kofi, this is what we're going to focus our sort of application of this sermon on, what it looks like for us to be able to be pillars as a church. What are our supports? And we're going to expand on that now. And I'm going to look at what it looks like to have the Word, God's Word as our support. Rich is going to look at what it looks like to have God's Spirit as our support. So when we're talking about the Word, we're talking about Scripture. We're talking about the Bible. Best-selling book ever. Translated into, over into actually not over, it's exactly 683 languages as of yesterday. It's a book of history, poetry, proverbs, biographies, letters, revelation. And in 21st century London, it can have a significant impact on our life. And if it's not having a significant impact on our life, we are missing out. Paul writes this in in his second letter to Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All of this book here is is God's word for us. It's so that we may be equipped for every good work that God has prepared for us. Whether it's how we should act in church, how we should raise our children, how we should handle our finance. I believe that the Bible has something to say about nearly every situation we find ourselves in. David writes this in Psalm 19. It should come up behind me. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts, or that sort of means principles, of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward." Can we truthfully say that we desire God's word more than gold? Is it sweeter than honey? You sort of get into that thing of like you're salivating over it. Can we honestly say that? King David had such a rich understanding of God's word that you just see it pouring out in this psalm. I've highlighted in the next slide that it revives his soul. If we flick to the next slide. Highlighted, but we'll get there. You can see in the next, it revives his soul. It makes wise the simple things. He's talking about himself being made wiser through God's word. It causes his heart to rejoice. It enlightens his eyes. It, it warns him. And by God's word, he knows there is a great reward. How often do you find that your soul needs reviving? Something complicated made simple. Our hearts need something to rejoice over. Where do we go for those things? <laughs> we should go to here, this, this book. And do you know what the beauty is now is that scripture is more accessible now than it ever has been. Finding verses has never been easier. Just on a simple, basic level, I found it really helpful when I need to go to God's word, but I have no idea where to go. I Google. I could just sit there and let my Bible open on any page and start reading. That wouldn't be the worst thing I could do, but it could take me a while before I find some wisdom about a specific situation. Instead, I can use simple Google searches to Find verses about dealing with sickness. Find verses about God's forgiveness. Find verses about how to discipline my children. Find verses about how to restore my faith. Find verses about management and leadership. If you do it, you'll find loads of links. Top 50 this, best verses for this. My main warning here, though, is to not take the scriptures out of context, which can so often happen. But read the chapter. Read the verses before. Read the verses after. Google who the intended audience was. Maybe get a paraphrase version, something like the Message, which just is a paraphrase version of the Bible, which can just bring it to light in new ways. Read a commentary on it. I've got an ESV app on my phone, which within two clicks I can be reading a commentary about that verse I've read. So when it's just a bit like I don't know what to do with this, God, you can read what scholars and theologians have fought over for years and years and years, really easily. Now I'm not a scholar, <laughs> I'm not a qualified theologian, but I know that I can have access to that in just a few clicks. Use it as a tool to navigate Scripture rather than your only means of reading. But as you find verses, meditate on them. Write them on your phone. Memorize them if you've got a good memory. But commit this to to who you are. Rather than being put off by the 31,102 verses in this book and knowing where to begin. (laughs) Be excited that every one of them is God's word for you in whatever situation you you find yourself in. Don't just read it. Let it affect you right down to the core. Paul writes in Colossians three sixteen. he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I find the best way to understand about something dwelling in me richly is to do with cake. <laughs> My mother-in-law and I have very different opinions on what something means to be rich. She thinks things are too rich. I think the richer the better. <laughs> but essentially what we're saying... Uh, is when something's rich, it's dense, it's sweet, it's going to linger in my stomach that I might not have to eat for a few more days. That <laughs> I know that it's going to... When I eat that large piece of chocolate cake, I know it's going to have a lasting effect on me. <laughs> you know it, you know it. How many times have you sat there, you will have different people in your family who go, this is really rich, and you're thinking, this is really good. <laughs> Smithy. <laughs> Smithy's with me. He would agree with me on the richness of cake. <laughs> but can we say that we have the same feeling about reading god's word are we allowing it to have a lasting effect on us I know, I know sometimes i can literally just go right i need to do my reading need to do my reading and then you go i can't remember any of that i can't have had a lasting effect on me but if i take the time to digest it it will stick in me it will stick in my heart it will stick in my head it will mean that the situations i face will run in through my mind Joshua 1, God commands Joshua this. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. The implication of this command from God is, let this word be constantly running in your mind. Have verses, phrase running through your mind all the time. God's word is one of the keys to making us strong pillars. Without it, how would we be able to stand? How can we hold up the gospel this wonderful truth of the gospel if we're not spending time in it? Let it strengthen us. So just as a hand over to Rich, let God's word get into you. Read it. Listen to it. In times of need, Google specific verses. When big decisions need to be made, draw on scripture for wisdom. When you read something about who God is that blows your mind, send it to a friend. Text your GC or your running partners. Let's be a church who understands the privilege of having God's word available to us, who desire it like that's taste of honey, and who let it affect our lives. And just the basic thing, don't just carve out or squeeze time to read your Bible. Prioritize it. Prioritize getting into his promises. It will strengthen and equip us for the task of being pillars of the truth. And i give hand over to Rich. He's going to help us with what it looks like to be people of the Spirit. Let's give Rich a warm welcome.
1: Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, we thought it would be seamless if I had the mic, the headset, Brittany thing, um, but uh, it wasn't quite so seamless. doesn't matter. Um, wonderful. So, yeah. So I'm going to pick up with the Spirit. And so we've been looking at um, the Word, the Word dwelling in us richly. Um, and I think often um, in churches that, that there's been presented this kind of false idea um, that the word and spirit are somehow um, at loggerheads with one another. Um, over the last 30 years, um, I think the church has really done some work. Um, and actually, we want to be a church um, that really um, are robust and strong in the word um, and a church that are completely um, filled, empowered, equipped um, by the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. Um, And so we're going to pick up on this idea of the Spirit. Um, Just There we go. Um, Oh, I've lost my place. Sorry, one second. Um, The the beauty um, of being given the gift of the Holy Spirit the beauty of the Holy Spirit being given to the church um, is that we receive um, a guide, a counselor. Um, We're going to look at a couple of uh, points that Jesus talks about um, this gift of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit being given to the church. Um, And so it'll come up behind me in John 16. Um, He says... uh, In John 16, verses 13 to 15, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see the Holy Spirit declaring truth. He declares truth to the disciples, to the followers of Jesus. um, And um, we see that uh, the Spirit comes to illuminate and make this truth living um, in our hearts and minds. Um, And the issue is very often we're we're not great at listening. Um, So if we fast forward a few years um, and we see Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit poured out um, on all flesh, that's, that's the age we live in, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. It's been given as a gift for us um, to be a guide, to be a counsel. But we aren't always great at listening. We aren't always great at hearing this declaration of truth um, that the Holy Spirit gives. Um, there's another illustration that's quite helpful that Jesus uses um, when speaking of the Holy Spirit. In John 4, um, he talks about... Um, The Holy Spirit being like a well, uh, like a spring within us um, that wells up um, to eternal life. And then uh, in John 7, um, again, he picks up this idea of water, um, again, talking about um, the Holy Spirit. It says in uh, John 7, it will come up behind me, it says uh, from verses uh, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, in case you missed it. uh, This he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so the Holy Spirit, he comes, he's a person who comes to live and reside within us. This gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the, this spring that wells up to eternal life, this river that flows up and out of us um, to affect the world around us, um, is, is, is an incredible gift to encourage, to empower, to equip us um, as the people of God. Um, but actually, something surprising happens. Yes, it's a gift given to the church to be poured out into the lives of those around us, to be um, poured out into our workplaces, to be um, kind of poured out into our communities as, as we take that truth that is declared to us and we declare that truth. Yes, absolutely. But actually, as that happens, as that wellspring rises up within us and pours out, we ourselves are actually changed in the process. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible mystery that actually we, as we press into God, as we receive and understand more of, of who He is, living inside of us, at work within us, we are um, increasingly um, transformed and changed. As you meditate on the truth of His Word, um, the Word that is declared to you by the Holy Spirit, as we become much more sensitive to His leading, to His guiding, that actually as we start to listen more to these declarations of truth, that actually Jesus is more glorified through us as we are increasingly changed and transformed by that power. You see, we're changed by the power of God at work within us. That, that, that power that the Holy Spirit comes to bring about transformation um, is power for us to witness. We see that in Acts 1. It's power for us to step out um, and share the gospel. It's power for us to be bold, to stand up for the truth. It's power for us to actually step out in our identity. It's power for us to actually humble ourselves before God. It's power for us to actually submit ourselves to His Word and believe that what He says is true. It's power for us to step out in our gifts. It's power for us to actually step out in those God-given things that he's given us. It's power for us to overcome obstacles, barriers, boundaries to love people, to welcome people in. It's power to embrace the diversity of the church. It's power to stand on truth and welcome in the strangers without fear that, that, that somehow we're going to lose our way. Because as we, as we stand on the word, he's a guide and he leads us into all truth. So we can have confidence, we can have boldness, um, we can have power um, as we do that. You see, the trick is, because, because very often, and I speak for myself, very often my life doesn't look very powerful, right? Right? Um, And in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul talks and he says, he commands, he says, do not quench the spirit. There is a very real aspect here that we can actually quench the spirit. That we can, if you like, kind of uh, stem the flow of this river. We can somehow block um, the spring of living water. We can actually stop listening um, to... The the declaration of truth that the Holy Spirit comes to declare and make and cause uh, to be living uh, and active in our lives. Um, And I think there's a couple of things that I think um, we as a church, we as a culture, are probably at danger of. Um, Because we largely um, come from um, a long history of what we might call the charismatic church, where we believe in the power of God, equipping people in their everyday lives. We absolutely believe that. But I think we're at danger um, of, of, of a few things. Firstly, I think we're at danger of rationalizing what the Holy Spirit does. I think we're at danger of trying to explain what the Holy Spirit does because we become familiar with the things of the Spirit and therefore, when things become familiar, we want to explain, understand, and then predict. But, but, but God, God, God's truth is revealed to us. It's not saying that it's, God isn't predictable. God is faithful. God is eternally faithful. His word is true. Whatever we find in Scripture is absolutely true. But when you try and rationalize the things of the Spirit, something doesn't quite happen because you see something doesn't match up because the spirit, if you like, equips us um, as a voice to the world. But actually we see throughout the New Testament, he equips us as a voice to principalities and powers, to cosmic forces, to the plans, the works, the schemes of the enemy. And if we don't always understand those things in the heavenly places that the Bible calls them, then we try and rationalize it in worldly terms. And then we come a little bit of a cropper. Because what happens if something doesn't quite match up or quite line up? And I think for many of us in the room who perhaps would be familiar um, with, 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 with the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, um, those who would say we've been baptised with the Spirit, those that walk in the power of that um, in our daily lives to be transformed and changed, actually, we can, if we're not careful, we can start to try and rationalise the work of the Spirit. And that's quite a dangerous thing to do. There are mysteries in the kingdom. There are mysteries that we cling on to in faith and say, Lord, you've spoken this, you've said this, we're going to stand firm, we're going to believe you, we're going to trust you, we're going to press on in faith. We don't understand, but we trust you. That's incredible faith. Second of all, um, and we did a series on this, I think very often the rivers, those um, spr- that spring of living water can get blocked. Um, we did a series back in... Jan- January last year, um, removing the rocks. Essentially getting some of those things out of the river so that the Holy Spirit at work in us can flow. Um, can, that spring can well up to eternal life. That, those rivers can pour out of us to the world around us. That as we hear those declarations of truth, we can ourselves be transformed and changed. And I just felt God highlight three things um, that are rocks that I think he wants to actually remove. Um, One is pride. Too much of yourself in the river. Too much of yourself blocking the way. Um, Another one, um, I think, is bitterness. When you hold on to bitterness, where you can't let go, you've been offended, and it just sits in your heart. Um, And in Hebrews, it talks about a root of bitterness taking hold. And then thirdly, anxiety. Anxiety that, that, that keeps you locked in fear. And it's not a good fear. The fear of God is a good thing. The good, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, but it's a fear that keeps you locked, that keeps you bound, that keeps you trapped. And maybe we'll come back to some of those things a little bit later. And um, the third thing is actually time. It's very practical. Time. We just don't make time to listen. We don't take time to meditate on God's word. I wonder, I wonder if I was to do a survey how many of us actually set aside um, a period of time with no agenda. We were just going to meditate on truth and we were just going to hear what God says. I wonder how many of us would actually do that. We'd actually make space in our diaries to create time for the Holy Spirit to declare and some of these truths to us. These truths that are transformational. These truths that cause us to walk in power. These truths that actually change us by the power of God. How many of us would actually make time for that? And I'm not talking about a little quiet time. That's helpful. That's helpful. But I mean actually give God free reign. Say, fine, Lord, I'm going to meditate on your word. Speak to me. Because we very often get locked into agendas. We get locked into, oh, I'm doing my Bible reading. I'm doing my series. I've got my thing. I've got my this. Got my... Then I'm off to work. Then I've got to do that. Then I've got that meeting. Then I've got lunch. Then I'm meeting this person. And so on and so on and so on and so on throughout the day. Until you collapse at, well, about nine o'clock at my house. But <laughs> fall asleep, right? Um, but how, how many of us actually create time for God to actually speak to us? And so what is this message? that the Holy Spirit declares. We've seen that the Holy Spirit declares this truth to us. Um, well, we're going to jump back to our 1 Timothy passage um, and verse 16. Oh, I had it a second ago. Um, we're going to jump back uh, to verse 16 um, and we're going to unpack this last verse. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You see, we must let our hearts be captured again by the love and the wonder of the plan of God to glorify Jesus in and through us. And so this wonderful truth that we uphold isn't an abstract truth. This wonderful truth that we uphold as pillars, this wonderful, incredible truth is a person. Yeah. It's a person. Great indeed, we confess as the mystery of godliness, He. It is a mystery. How do, how do you want to know how to behave in the church, which is what Paul is talking about a couple of verses previously? You. You don't think about how you can do better. You don't think about how your diary is structured. You don't think about what God's calling you into. You don't think about anything to do with you. You think about person. You think about person. That's the mystery of godliness. That actually, the mystery of godliness is you're not trying to make yourself more impressive. The mystery of godliness is you're more impressed with a person. Jesus Christ. That actually as we fix our attention and our gaze on him, that we are increasingly um, transformed. And, and, and we understand and know more how to play our part as we fix our eyes on a person. As we take our eyes off of ourselves. And so, verse 16. The one who was manifested in the flesh, who left his home in heaven, arrayed in splendor, surrounded by glory, that he would lay aside all that majesty and become incarnate, become and come to us in the flesh, and live amongst men. The one who was vindicated by the Spirit, that word vindicated just means evidenced or proved by the Spirit. Proved to be full of truth. In Romans uh, 18, uh, Romans, I haven't even got 18 on my. <laughs> Romans 8, that's the one. Uh, Romans 8, verse 16. Uh, it says The Spirit Himself bears witness, give ev- gives evidence, vindicates. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The one uh, who was seen by the angels. The angels looked on and they watched as he voluntarily took on flesh. The one that the angels had been praising, glorifying, worshipping for millennia, throughout the ages. They saw this one come and walk on the earth. They saw him rejected. They saw him endure hatred. They saw him unjustly convicted. They saw him eventually beaten and put to death in our place. Taking on the sin that you and I should have owned. He took it on himself. The Bible says sin is like a stain. And to think the angels watching on thinking, what on earth is going on? This one who should be praised and glorified and, 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 and lifted higher than any other name, now bruised, beaten and killed on a cross. And then the wonder, the angels saw him three days later rise again. They saw him defeat sin. They saw him defeat death. They see him ascend. They see him return to heaven where he now receives more praise and more glory as he made the way, not a way, he made the way for men and women to come into relationship with God, for men and women to find peace with God. One incredible truth. These angels marvel. It says in 1 Peter, things which angels long to look into. They, they just can't get their head around it. This incredible journey, they watched the whole thing. We have a snippet of what they saw as they journeyed, with, with, as they tracked Jesus' life and death. And praise God we have the word that we can expound and, and, and understand and more fully realize the journey that Jesus came on. But what a mystery that angels longed to look into, that Jesus would create the way for us to come to him. And then the one proclaimed among the nations. You see, we are commissioned to take this message of hope to the ends of the earth. This message that Jesus died on the cross in our place to set us free. So that we can now live standing on the word, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's why it's such a central part of the vision here at Rev. um, To take this gospel to the end of the world. To plant churches in city after city. You see, we aren't looking for you guys to get behind our vision. If that was the case, we might as well all go home. We're looking to actually get behind what God is doing. What is God's plan and purpose? His plan and purpose is that we would be a people that let our hearts get so captivated with this truth that we literally take it to the ends of the earth. That we literally take this truth and we declare it in city after city after city and nation after nation after nation. Now you may not physically go. But we can stand in prayer. We can use our gifts. We can use our time. We can use our money to be investing in these things. To be glorifying God through the way that we live. um, Spirit empowered, changed and transformed lives. And then the one in whom the world believes. The one believed on in the world. That as we proclaim Jesus Christ people are transformed. That as we uphold this truth, that as we as the church, as the household of God, declare this truth to a dying, a lost world, that they will come and put their faith in him. That they will come and believe um, in him. And so my challenge, I guess, really is, are, are we willing to commit ourselves... To live honestly before our friends, before our colleagues, before our neighbours. I wonder if um, when you get into work tomorrow, perhaps you bump into somebody and somebody asks you, hey, how was your weekend? What's your first response? Oh, yeah, Saturday was great, I had a great family day, and then Sunday was, it was Sundays. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I know the weakness. <laughs> But I think now I've I've been really challenged in my own life. When somebody says, how was your weekend? The first thing I'm going to tell them is what happened at church. I don't always then follow that up. I might then just, um, I, I don't mind the awkward silence. I mean, some of you aren't quite like me. I don't mind the awkward silence. So I will share and then just see what they say. It's quite interesting. Some people just move the conversation on. Others kind of probe a little bit further. What, what happened? Well, talk, talk to me about that. It's really fascinating. But actually, I'm—I'm. I'm I mean, that's my own personal conviction. It's an easy thing to do. just be able to. It's an easy way to just stand on truth and just say, Lord, I'm going to live honestly um, before my friends, my neighbours, my colleagues. But I think I want us as a people, like in Romans one. where Paul says in Romans one verse sixteen, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so what do we do with this as, a, as the household of faith? Well, if you're not a believer here, um, or you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step your first step is to come and put your trust in him. To come and say, Lord, I receive that sacrifice on the cross in my place. I receive your death for my sin. I receive your resurrection. I receive your new life, raised to new life. If that's you and you've not taken that step, we'd love to journey with you. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Um, We'd love to answer any questions you have about that. But moving on, we press in to all that God has for us. We, we are baptised in water. That's what we're doing in two weeks' time. We press in to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we unblock those springs. We let the rivers flow up and out of us. We unblock our ears. And we listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. We commit ourselves to hearing that declaration of truth. We're going to stand. Uh, The band are going to come up. If you'd like to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray. I just feel... um, I feel like um, I feel like there are numbers in the room, um, and and it feels like you've hit a bit of an impasse, um, and it feels like you just even in your own uh, Christian walk, you just feel like you've stagnated a little bit, um, and you just feel that, and I just feel even even just as I was touching on. Um, that first part about the spirit I feel like you, you almost had a revelation but you've be, been trying to make yourself more impressive you've been trying to work on yourself rather than fixing your eyes on the man Jesus Christ rather than fixing your eyes on him you, you, you've almost got stuck into this thing of trying to better yourself and uh. Just, just where you are, we're just going to take just a couple of seconds. I just want you in your heart to just identify that, acknowledge that and repent of it. And say, Lord, this is where, this is, this is something that has caused an obstruction, a blockage for me. This is something that has not allowed me to hear you as you would want to speak. And just in your heart, just begin to repent of that. Repentance is to say sorry. To turn your heart back to him. And I just feel some of some of those people, um, and I feel like there's numbers of others in the room as well, uh, where you just need to press into God. You need you need a fresh uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. You know that you've been running on empty, you've been running dry, um, and you just need the Holy Spirit, those springs of living water, that truth um, to be declared. For those ears to be unblocked. Just, just where you are. I just want you just to lift your hands. And I'm going to pray. And once I've finished praying. I'd love you to start lifting your voices and praying. So when I say amen. I want you guys to just begin praying. Just begin turning your hearts back to the Lord. Just begin to stir up um, those springs of living water within you. Just begin. You may want to start declaring truth. It might be God reminds you of a verse. um, But just begin to just press in um, to him. And the command in the New Testament is to be filled. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, we just pray, would you come by your Holy Spirit, fill us afresh Lord, fill us with power, Lord, that we might be transformed. Fill us with power that we might take our eyes off of ourselves, that we might fix our eyes, our gaze wholly on you. Lord, would you stir up within us gifts. Lord, would you confirm who you have made us to be. Lord, would your spirit come and bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Just lift your voices, just begin to praise him.